right, church. Well, good morning. Good morning, morning. Good to see everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Paul. I'm the teaching pastor here. Uh, so good to worship with you, to sing uh, to Jesus with you. So thankful to have uh, Wesley here um, to lead us this morning. Uh, thanks to him for, for coming up. Um, if you're a guest this morning, maybe it's your first time here, just want to say a very special welcome to you. Um, a couple things for you to be aware of, guests. Um, before you leave, if you would do one thing, um, there's a QR code in front of you, hopefully. And if you pull out your phone and you scan that QR code with your camera app, it will direct you to lpguest.com. There's a digital guest information card there. We'd love to have you fill uh, that out. You filling that out is not saying you're here forever. It just is you saying, hey, I was here once and I checked it out. So we would love to connect with you. Uh, we'll also donate $5 to one of our partner ministries if you do that. So we would love uh, to have that happen. I will also say uh, at the end, after service at 1120, uh, we have a membership class this morning. Uh, membership uh, is really for anyone who would say, you know what, this, this is the church that I feel like God has, has placed me in, this local body of people that I want to, to walk alongside, to, to love Jesus, and to help others love Jesus alongside. And so if that's you, um, we have, again, that class at 1120. It's usually about an hour, depending. Um, and so we'd love to have you uh, join us there. If you didn't sign up, that's okay. Uh, nobody usually does, but we still have people show up and go through membership class. That sounds like we've never had a member join the church. That's not true. But a lot of times you don't sign up and then people show up and it's like, great, we're glad you're here. All right. Anyway, I digress. Uh, this morning, we are in the final week of a 10-week series going through the book of Revelation. Okay, And uh, this series, over and over again, we've given this big idea, this main point is that the Revelation is more about present hope than it is a future calendar. And hopefully you have seen that revealed to be true. Now, this morning, we're going to be in chapters 21 and 22. And in these chapters, they very much detail the end, in a sense, but they also very much detail the beginning of something entirely different, something entirely new. Uh, the famous author and theologian, a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis, he wrote the books, The Chronicles of Narnia. And in um, the final book of that series, series he, he, the book is, is titled The Last Battle. And C.S. Lewis says this, and I just love this quote. Um, it says, the things that began to happen after that, referring to this great battle, were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. And the reason I love that description is because it tells us that what awaits us is not the end, but an entirely new beginning that lasts into eternity he speaks of heaven. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to read about heaven. What does God say about it? What is that like? And we're going to dig into these details. And again, I just love this, this picture of everything that you've experienced in life. If you belong to Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, if you've understood that you're in need of a savior, if you've understood personally that you are a sinner separated from God, and the only way you can get back to God is through the God-man in Christ Jesus. What awaits you 
is an entirely new beginning, and everything you've experienced thus far is just the introduction of the book. Isn't that exciting? Like, that should just, like, sort of fire us up a little bit, wake us up a little bit on this sleepy Sunday morning. Like, we, we should be looking forward to that very much. And this morning, again, we get to see some of these details. And so, like I said, we're going to be in Revelation 21 and 22. Um, and we'll, we'll sort of jump around a little bit just due to the nature of this text. I do want to pray for us first, um, and then we'll, we'll get into the text, because as always, uh, we do need the Lord's help today. Uh, Father, we ask this morning that... As we open your word, first we just want to praise you that you've given us the Bible, um, that it teaches us, that it shapes us. But would you help us understand what it is you're preparing for us? Would you help us look forward to that? And would you help us see and understand and then live radical lives today in response for what awaits us? We need you. Glorify yourself in our midst. Get me out of the way. It's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures, um, again, we'll be in Revelation 21. If you don't, we'll have the text on the screen for you. I will also just make a quick note. Now, we do have an app as a church. It's a LifePoint Ohio app. You can always go through the notes um, for that day's message uh, in the app. So just be aware of those different resources for you. Revelation 21, beginning in verses 1 through 8, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment." The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So we get this contrast of, of the pain of not belonging to Christ. And, and last week, we really finished off the section of Revelation where Jesus has wiped away every enemy. He's destroyed every enemy. He's put into subjection all of those who have rebelled against him. And once again, we see this reference, but the overall emphasis and the overall focus is on something new. You know, four times within these eight verses, the word new is repeated. And whenever you see that happening, that's essentially the author and God saying, Pay attention. <laughs> it's God saying, hey, I'm going to all caps, bold, italicize, and underline. You need to look at this. And so the word that God uses over and over again, as I just said, is new. And so then I think this morning what I'd like to really do is to dive in to say, well, what is new? How is that new? And get into the scriptures to answer these questions. And so there's two real questions I want to ask this morning. How is God making all things new in heaven? How does the promise of new shape our today? Right, Two-fold question. We're going to spend the vast majority of our time looking at how it is that God makes all things new. 
And then again, asking that question, well, how does that shape my today? The first thing I want, I want us to see here, if we go in, into uh, verse 1 um, of, of chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Uh, first, I think what we need to see is oftentimes when we think of heaven, what we think of is this wispy, ethereal, lack of physical state, and we just sort of float around, and I don't know, maybe there's harps or something. I don't know where these ideas come from, like Hallmark or movies or Tom and Jerry. Like, I, I don't know. It's one of those three, or maybe a combination of all of them, right? This idea that heaven is sort of this, like, I don't know, just chilling, playing music or something. It sounds, sounds a little boring, but, you know. And so I, I want us to see here that, that heaven is a physical place in, in the future state. Okay? And it's understandable to a degree that we think of this ethereal, wispy world, because right now in our present age, when a believer dies, the reality is we are promised throughout Scripture that, yes, we go into the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. And there is this disembodiment of our soul in our body. I think of, I reference this verse all the time because it's really important one. What Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so there's this concept that today when we die, we are in something called paradise and there's not a ton of details about that, but what's clear is throughout the, the, the New Testament, there's clearly this emphasis that, yeah, when you die, you are consciously either with Jesus or separated from Jesus. So we've got to know that very clearly. And yet, in this future new thing, it is physical. There's a connection between our souls and our bodies. There's things to do. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And I think that's just should, again, change and shape a little bit how we think about heaven. So back to my initial sort of driving question here, how is it that God makes all things new? Well, I think in order to, to really get into that, we first need to go back to when all things were no longer new. And to do that, we're going to go back all the way into Genesis chapter 3. And, and I know we know this uh, context typically very well. In Genesis chapter 3, what we see is that Adam and Eve sin. They disobey God's command not to eat of, of this certain tree and this certain fruit, and they, they reject God. They're deceived by Satan. They eat of the tree, and then there are consequences for that. And I think a lot of times we know, like, oh, yeah, they, they, it was bad. And Adam, you know, looks at God. It's crazy. He's like, well, she made me do it. It's like, dude, come on, man. Right? Like, it's, it's just pathetic. And so, but it's sort of, like, it's not comical, but it is a little bit. Like, let's take some ownership, fellas. Anyway, it wasn't all Eve's fault. You were right there. Anyway, so then God responds. Okay? God responds in, starting in verse 17. Uh, well, actually, he responds before that, but I want to get to verse 17. He's, he's giving sort of the punishment and the result of what it is they have done. Verse 17, it says this, And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so what's fascinating here is we see that there is an initial sort of curse, and the curse is twofold. Maybe we don't often think about it, but God cursed the earth. Isn't that interesting? Like he said, no, from this point forward, it's going to be really, really difficult for you to cultivate food. It says, out of pain, you will eat. That's not supposed to be our reality. 
And I think so many of us, we, we experience that, whether you're a farmer or a gardener or a hunter, or you somehow cultivate your own food, you feel the pain. Right now, for farmers, it's harvest season, and it's been raining for like two weeks. It's got to be driving y'all crazy, right? Equipment, I'm assuming, breaks all the time. I was driving down, I think it was Route 4 a couple days ago, and I saw a combine, and it caught on fire. I'm like, that's an expensive insurance bill. Right, just the pain of that, the, the stress of like, man, I hope the yield is enough this year. Like, it is painful for farmers. Thank you for what you do for our community. It's, it's amazing what you do. Gardeners, for example, my wife, she went really over the top in gardening this year. If you know where we live, you can't miss it. Right? I mean, just gardens everywhere. Um, and I feel soon she's going to come to me and say, hey, Paul, we got to clean out the gardens. Like, that's going to cause me pain. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not looking forward to that, to that moment. It's going to be coming this week. I know it. Um, hunters. Hunters, for example, I, I was sitting with somebody and I got a, um, I got a text message and, and, and the text message was like, uh, it was this picture of this beautiful buck and, and this buck, this picture was 10 yards from, from my buddy's tree stand and he sent me this picture. Now, the, the pain for him was that this picture was taken by his trail cam and he was currently on the, on the way to work. And so, you know, it's like, ah, the pain, right? Like it's so, so painful, you know, for some of us, you know, we don't really feel the pain of, of food cultivation. We just go to the grocery store, or we have our groceries delivered, and we feel the pain of the bill, um, but we don't feel the pain of cultivation. But I think it's really interesting. God did say, of pain you will eat. And I think it's really fascinating. Is this sort of consumer mass-produced world, our food is so full of random things that the pain comes through the consumption versus the production. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We eat, we eat, we eat. It's all right here. And all of a sudden, we're like, why am I so unhealthy? It's like, well, I don't know. Just a couple guesses. Anyway, and so and I feel like I've talked about my issues with, with sweets. Like, I love candy. Anyway, so pain comes. And so then it's like, okay, well, how, what is God going to do about this? How, how, how then, if we go back to our text, how is he making all things new? Revelation 22, verse 3 says this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. No longer will there be anything accursed. God is going to reverse the curse on the actual earth because he is going to make the earth new. No more thorns, no more pain, no more eating something and your body revolting against you. Feels like a volcano or something, like no more of that. No more bodies breaking down. Some of us are sick and we're hurting and our bodies ache. No more of that. No more toil. I think there will be work, but I think work is different than toil. You see, God gave us jobs before sin entered the world. God makes everything new by removing the curse in the new earth. He makes everything new by making it not so hard and difficult. So that's just one example of how God make thing, makes things new. Now, if we go back once again into Genesis chapter 3 in, in verse 19, what you'll recall uh, was that um, there was a second curse. Remember he said, by the sweat of your face you shall eat uh, of the bread. And then he says later, for you are dust and you, were, you shall return to dust. Now, back in, in Genesis um, chapter 2, he had, he had said, hey, look, if you disobey this commandment, you will die. And now that they have disobeyed this commandment, all of a sudden he's like, no, no, you're going to return to dust. Out of dust you are formed, and to dust you will return. And so then we have this, this tension of like, oh, we're going to die. And all of us are faced with that reality that one day we will die. 
one day this life will come to an end. And obviously we know that. And so, of, so many of us, I think, spend most of our lives trying to prevent that from happening, understandably so. But now in this new heaven and in new earth, if you look at uh, chapter 21, verse 4, this is the promise that we are given. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Look at Revelation 22, 5. It says this, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That point, forever and ever, is really, really important. What that means is that we exist then in this physical place in an eternal existence. Eternal, I think sometimes we have a hard time grasping that because we're so bound by time. But eternal is this thing that is unbound by time. It is forever. It is forever into the future. Right? Time is a construct that God created to organize the history of the world. And no longer do we exist within that. And we reign and live with God forever and ever. And again, I just want you to wrap your head around the thought for a moment. No more tears. No more pain. God will wipe away every tear. That should lead us to worship. Hallelujah. God makes everything new by making death no more. And it makes everything new by making death no more. So then from there, where do we go? What else does God do in order to essentially make all things new? Well, we see this, this second thing happening. Second thing happening. After, after verse 1, and we saw the new heavens and the new earth, we go into verse 2 of chapter 21, and we see this. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now jump down to verse 12 of this chapter. He's continuing to, to describe this thing that he's seeing. He says, It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. Right? And the city, uh, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are all equal. Right? So 12,000 stadia, length, width, height. That's, I'll explain how that's crazy in a minute. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits, by human measurements, which is also an angel's measurement. So it's nice that us and angels are aligned in terms of measurements. We couldn't align with you know, the UK, but we can align with angels. All right? And so I just think that's fascinating. Anyway, um, so John sees this vision of this city, right? And again, asking this question, well, how is he going to make all things new? What does that mean? Again, we've got this new heaven and new earth, physical place, okay? And then he sees this thing coming down out of heaven, and he says it's 1,200 stadia. 1,200 stadia is equal, or excuse me, 12,000 stadia, is equal to about 1,500 miles. For uh, anybody who cares, that's like Maine to Florida, all right? Then it's, it's 1,500 miles this way, this way, and this way. Like, th that's, that's just sort of like, ah, that's crazy. It's like basically the size of the continent of Australia. And he, then he, he goes on and he describes how, 
how this, this city is made of these jewels and it is beautiful and it is shining, it is pure, it is brilliant, it is stunning. And he sees this and he's like, wow, like that's how God makes all things new. And so then we have to ask the question, well, we've, we've seen a pattern throughout Revelation, haven't we, where we've seen these things and then they are representative or symbols of something else. And so then we need to ask the question, well, is this a literal city that is 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia, whose walls, by the way, 144 cubits is equal to about 200 feet thick of like solid, I don't know, diamonds. It's just stunning. So we ask, okay, is this a real physical thing? And of course, some commentators and theologians who I respect and, and, and believe this are like, yes, 100%. And you know what? Frankly, I hope that's the truth. Like, I hope this is a real city, and I really think it very well may be, that comes down out of heaven, because this is going to be awesome. Like, I think we're going to be able to like, fathom how splendid and beautiful and stunning that will be. I hope that's the case. And again, if you read this literally, that's the case. Now, I think there are also a lot of scholars and theologians, as you might expect, who have a different opinion. I tend to lean toward this opinion, and that is that this holy city is representative of a church, of the church. And when I say the church, what I do not mean is a building. We have to be really clear that church is not a building church. Church is a people, okay? Church is a people. It is the people of God. And here's why I lean toward this interpretation. And again, if you disagree with me, that's okay. Uh, you're still a believer. I'm still a believer. It is all right. Here's why I lean this, in this direction. Verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Time and time again, uh, when you look through um, the the New Testament, you consistently see the church, God's people, being compared to the bride of Christ. Okay, if you, if you look at the book of Ephesians, and you have one of the most important teachings on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, what you see is Paul, the apostle, um, outlining how husbands and wives are to relate to one another. And he says, this is all a profound mystery. And essentially, he says, but it teaches us about Jesus and the church and their relationship. The church being this holy, blemishless bride of Christ. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, I forget which one, I'm sorry. Um, the Apostle Paul is urging the church in Corinth to say, live holy lives so I can present you to Jesus as a spotless, pure virgin, a spotless bride. Live this way so that, so that God will be glorified. If you look elsewhere, just in the book of Revelation, what did we see? The marriage feast of the Lamb just last week, didn't we? The marriage feast of the Lamb was not Jesus sitting down with a physical city. It was Jesus sitting down for dinner with all of those throughout history who belonged to him, and they were worshiping him and saying, Hallelujah, praise God. And so if this city is representative of the people of God, here's, here's what that means. God makes all things new by making his true image bearers of his glory on the earth holy and pure. Okay, that was a long point that I probably could have reworded to make more concise and sticky, but I couldn't do it. Okay, God makes all things new by making us true image bearers of his glory on earth, holy and pure. Now, here's what I mean by that. All the way back, once again, in the book of Genesis, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, this time in verse 26, what you see is this. When God initially decides, hey, I'm going to create mankind in my image. Genesis 26, then God said, let us, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And so, in God's original plan, 
It was, hey, I'm going to create you. You're going to be made in our image, and you're going to then go out into the world, and you're going to reflect my glory. You're going to go out of the world, you're going to be multiply, you're going to be fruitful, and you're going to have dominion over this earth, but the dominion over the earth is not for your glory creation. The dominion of the earth is so that you go into the earth and all of creation sees you, and you then are a reflection of me. Okay? Are we, are we tracking with that? So our purpose is not to, to be vacuums of glory, to say, look at me. Our purpose is to be a mirror of glory, and as people look us, we reflect God's image back to him, right? That's our purpose. We were created for the glory of God, and yet sin has broken that, and now we imperfectly reflect a holy and perfect God. Isn't that the truth? We still reflect God because we're still made in his image. Every single person who is made in God's image, God's image reflects, which is everybody, reflects God. And the question is, do we reflect God in a way that glorifies him or in a way that reflects right back to us in our glory? That's the question. So then tie that together back with this picture of this city. And if God's church is now so large, it's, it's, it's all of those throughout history who have been saved. New Testament and Old Testament believers alike. Remember the 12 foundations. Right? New Testament, Old Testament believers alike. This people of God. And then the image that we're given of this people of God is that it's spotless, pure, holy. It is this perfect image of the glory of God. And it's so big, it basically fills the entire earth. And so church, when I think in, in the new heavens and the new earth, in eternity, we will perfectly reflect the glory of God to all of creation. And we will finally fulfill our purpose. Anybody in here struggle with purpose? Like, what the heck am I doing with my life? Just me? Thank you. I appreciate you guys. It's just, I feel like we can relate together. It's a safe space where I can be vulnerable, Right? Your purpose, whatever you're doing, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're an electrician, whether you're working at Nucor, whether you're working at Whirlpool, wherever you are, your purpose is not ultimately you. Your purpose is God's glory. And we have an opportunity every single day to live that out. Now, we've got to keep moving because there's a lot more God does. Now, if you go back, okay, how else does God make all things New. Well, there's some, once again, some really, really stunning verses. Verse 3, Revelation chapter 21, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Jump over to chapter 22, verse 4. It says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, to the original reader, this would have blown minds. This would have been like, no way, you're crazy. Like, this is stunning because throughout the history of all things, since humankind fell, and when I say fell, I mean sinned, we then created a separation from God. And the reason for that separation, and I don't want to take this for granted, the reason we were separated for God, from God, the reason God kicked us out of, of eternity, of, of Eden, was because he is holy and he is pure. And when we sinned, what we did was we said, no, we are sinful and impure. And God's holiness cannot be in the presence of sin. 
And so God said, no, you can no longer be in connection with me because of your sin. And so then the rest of history is about God saying, but I desire to be with you. I desire to live with you. I desire for you to be in my presence because that's how you were created to be. The rest of history is God telling that story. In the Old Testament, you see things like something called the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the wilderness outside of of Egypt. We had the presence of God in this very particular, very specific way. In order to access God, there was these sacrifices that needed to be made. Then you continue on, you see this thing called the temple. And the temple is this beautiful building built. The first temple was built by a guy named King Solomon. What you see is that the temple had these different sections. And what we then see is that one time, one person, each year, one time a year, one person got to go into this special little room which the presence of God dwelt. This place called the Holy of Holies. One person, one time a year, got to access the presence of God. Huge deal. And if they did it the wrong way, dead. Serious. Very, very serious thing. And so now, in heaven... I will dwell with my people. And get this, they will see my face. Never could humankind see the face of God, ever. And now God says, no, 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 not only am I going to dwell with you, but you're going to see my face. In heaven, church, we get to live in the Holy of Holies. And if you know how big the deal the Holy of Holies is, like that's just let your mind be blown, recover, and then let your mind be blown again. We get to live in the presence of God. Stunning. We could go on about how God is making all things new, and we could go on and on and on, but what I really want to ask this morning, as I asked before, how does the promise of new shape our today? All right, we saw how God is making all things new, and we could go again in more details, but I've only got so much time, and I'm probably going to be over again. I'm very sorry for LifePoint kids, because, man, if you're like five minutes over, and you're down there with a bunch of kids, I'm, that's a lot of time, okay? So how does that then shape our day today? We need more volunteers in LifePoint kids. Just throwing it out there. All right, so here, here's how it happens, right? How, how does the promise of new shape our today, okay? We can live out the values of heaven in our present moment. Here's what I mean by that. We can live out the values of heaven in our present moment. It goes back to this dynamic of already and not yet that we talked about earlier in this series. When Jesus came and walked on the earth as one of us, again, Jesus existed in eternity past and eternity present and eternity future, if I can combine eternity and time anyway. But when he came and walked among us as a man, as a God-man, He established, he said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, I'm establishing the kingdom of heaven. And so in a sense, right, you and I, we exist in the kingdom of heaven today through faith in Christ. We do. We exist in the kingdom of heaven today. And yet, we await the not yet of this eternal state, this new heaven, this new earth where everything is perfect. And so then, church, as believers in Christ, what we have is an incredible opportunity to bring the values and the newness and the greatness of heaven into our present day moment. Imagine the impact of that in a broken and sinful world where all of a sudden there's these individuals who are bringing heaven into it. That's a powerful concept and a powerful idea. And so then we ask, well, how do I go about doing that? How do I go about bringing the values of heaven into our present day world? Well, remember the first thing we talked about. We talked about the curse 
And we talked about how the curse on the earth, but also that man would, would die. And then we said, well, look, God makes that new, as we saw in, in these verses uh, that in, in where he said, I'm going to wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. So then how do we, as, as citizens of a heavenly kingdom today, go about bringing this value of tears being wiped away, death being no more? It's a valid question. It's a sort of like, I can't stop tears. I can't stop pain. I certainly, I mean, like, there, there's a lot there. Right now, in our political climate, there's this issue one coming up, okay? Issue one, the vote on that. And I want to be clear here. My job as your pastor is not to tell you how to vote, okay? And yet, what I want to do is to take an opportunity this morning to see how heavenly values impact something like that today. So we, we hold, hopefully, a biblical view that in the moment of conception, babies are human beings and people, right? And we see that balanced throughout Scripture, where, where God has knit and woven little ones together. He has plans for their lives. He knows everything. He knows them, a future set forward. And so I think as, as citizens of a, a present kingdom, awaiting a not-yet kingdom, we need to do all we can right, to, to promote and to encourage life. And yet, I think sometimes in our culture, we have this narrative that says you're either pro-life or you're pro-woman. And I think what we see in the scriptures is that God loves that woman and God loves that baby. And so then how do we come to a balance of I want to save babies and I want to love women going through really, really difficult things? And I think that's the tension that you and I need to exist well within. And I think it's actually a tension that Christians were born to step into because we know how everything pans out and we have a hope unlike any other hope. So then how do we do that? Again, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I think that's a process of sanctification, and that is ultimately up to you. And again, I encourage biblical values. But what I would also say is that we need to not turn a blind eye to the vulnerable and the hurting and the lowly in our community. That's why we need to partner with organizations that are first responders in these situations where a young family, a young woman, is experiencing an unexpected pregnancy. That's why we partner with um, uh, organizations like Voice of Hope, who are there to meet with these women and to help and to get them resources and counseling and care. And again, we support them as a church, and we have people in our church in life groups serving Voice of Hope. Praise God. At our Lewis Center campus, there is a partnership with an organization, and we partner with them to a degree. Uh, the, the, chart, the church planting partner, Salt and Light Church, that we partner with meets in Stowe Mission down in inner city Columbus. Stowe Mission is a very similar situation to what we have with Grace Clinic. But they also, again, provide health care. They provide classes, all sorts of different things. And so then how do we be a part of death is no more and wiping away every tear? We actually see people, walk with them where they are, and say, I want to help you know the love of Christ. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to shame you. You're in situations that I have not been in or maybe have not understood, and I want to point you to Jesus, not reject you and say, how dare you? a difficult and fine balance. Actually, at our Lewis Center campus over the past three years, they've had a life group or called a bridge group specifically for men and women who have made abortive decisions in the past. The point of that life group is to say, hey, who is Jesus? How can we change and be made into new creations? Now, how else then do we go about bringing heavenly values into our present day moment. Well, this week, as I was studying and praying about this text, I was reminded of one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. I've got it on my screen back here. I'm not going to flip it in the Bible. It says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regarded him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so then, how do we take heavenly values and live them out today? You and I, if we have a personal saving faith relationship with Jesus, you and I live like new creations in Christ. That's how we do it. What does that mean? It means I'm no longer going to pursue and glorify the sins that Jesus saved me from. What it means is that I'm going to set new priorities in my life. What it means is I'm going to desire relationships with other Christians who are trying to follow Jesus. What it means is I'm no longer, again, saying, I know Jesus has saved me, but I love this thing a little bit more. And when we do that, I think that is a powerful message to the world to say that Jesus has more value, Jesus is better, Jesus is worth it, Jesus is the king. And when people see individuals actually being changed, we have this narrative in our world that says people don't change. That's untrue with the gospel. Jesus does change people. He does transform us. He does actually make us into new creations in Christ. And so then when we live that out in this world, it is a glory to him and a testimony to his goodness and greatness. Again, there's so much more that we could say. But again, as we ask this question, well, how do I live it out today? Live as the new creation Christ has made you to be. And if you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, if you haven't been yet made into a new creation in Christ, stop waiting for that. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know when this life is going to end. And he wants you to be made new. He has good works set out for you. And he wants to use you for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this series, going through the book of Revelation. Father, this morning, would you help us understand how to live out heavenly values in a broken and sinful world? Would you help us be advocates for goodness, for peace, for hope, for life, for everything that is good and pleasing to you? Would you help us look at ourselves and say, how have you made me into a new creation? How have I rejected that? How can I repent Say, Father, forgive me for how I I have seen and tasted that you are good and yet still desired the preferences of the world and preferences of sin. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't see us and say, how dare you? He sees us and says, come here, I forgive you. Come here, I forgive you. I see you. I want something different for you. God, would you do that in us this morning? Make us a people of repentance and faith. We trust you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we come to you. Amen. Church, as we go to sing this next song, if you need to respond, maybe it's a you need prayed for about a specific thing. Maybe you placed your faith in Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to repent. We've got a team in the back who wants to pray with you, to talk with you, to help you, to say, let's lead you to Jesus. And so as we sing and, and respond, let's respond in steps of faith.